My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue through the Word of God and we are continuing our journey today through Matthew chapter 9. And I hope that you're enjoying this and if you haven't had a chance to uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, please go ahead and do that. I've got uh, over 200 videos that I've done, chapters of the Bible, and I've got playlists there. You can see all the different playlists and you can go through some uh, of the chapters uh, sorry, books of the Bible I've completed and I'm working my way through uh, others and uh, will continue to do that through the whole Bible. Uh, please like, comment, subscribe. Your comments are so helpful to so many people, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be Facebook, wherever it is, Instagram. Uh, I know it's harder to comment on the podcast, but share these podcasts, share uh, these out as much as you can. Let's continue our journey today. We're going to be finishing Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be starting at Matthew chapter 27 and going all the way through to verse 38. So verse 27 to verse 38 of Matthew chapter 9. Now, uh, Jesus has just healed uh, the ruler's daughter. He's just healed the woman with the issue of blood. And then we get it to verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Interesting. Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. It was not easy physically for blind men to physically follow Jesus. Think about it. They would have had to have taken uh, physical instructions from people about where to go, left, right, up the step, down the hill. Uh, they had to ask other people, where's he gone? Yes, he's gone over there now. And then they had to listen to the sounds of Jesus walking in his footsteps. But they were determined to follow him. Why? Because they wanted to the best of their ability, give themselves an opportunity to be healed by him. Uh, now, blindness actually was a very common disease at the time of Jesus, a lot more common than what we see today. William Barclay said this, Blindness was a distressingly common disease, partly because people knew nothing of the importance of cleanliness and hygiene, in particular the clouds of unclean flies that carried infections which led to a loss of sight. So there was a lot more blind people you know, in Jesus' time. So they said, Son of David, have mercy on us. A very interesting statement because they, they shouted this in open recognition. We know who you are. We know you're the son of David. We know you're the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. The son of David, that title, son of David, was a very rich messianic title. Um, and the very first thing that they asked Jesus for was actually mercy. They said, have mercy on us. Their sole appeal was to mercy. Spurgeon said, there was no talk about merit, no pleading of their past sufferings or their persevering endeavors or their resolves for the future, but have mercy on us. 
He will never win a blessing from God who demands it as if he had a right to it. D.A. Carson, this is the first time Jesus is called Son of David and there can be no doubt that the blind men were confessing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So he comes into the house. The blind men, they've not just followed him on the path, now they've followed him into the house. And Jesus didn't, interestingly enough, he didn't deal with them until he got inside the house. Um, D.A. Carson, this may have been to dampen messianic expectations on a day marked by two highly public and dramatic miracles. Remember, Jesus has just healed the, the woman with the issue of blood and the ruler's daughter. Right, all same same day. Um, Jesus says, "Do you believe I'm able to do this?" When they get inside the house, he healed the blind men in response to their faith. Faith doesn't guarantee healing for every individual. We have to remember that. So that means when somebody doesn't get healed, we can never say, "Well, it's because you didn't have faith or you didn't have enough faith." But there are multitudes that are not healed because they have no faith. That is a reality. And these men simply proclaimed their faith and they said, yes, yes, Lord. Do you believe I can do this? Yes, we do. Spurgeon, he touched them with his hand, but they also must touch him with their faith. So Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be so to you. Here again, Matthew, who's writing this, emphasizes the proper faith that we should have in Jesus and the blessings that will come to us through that faith. Think about that. The leper that Matthew wrote about in Matthew 8, chapter 1 to 4, uh, sorry, verse 1 to 4, he showed faith because he absolutely knew that Jesus was able to heal his leprosy. The centurion in Matthew 8, 5 to 13, he had great faith that Jesus would, uh, Jesus openly praised and said, this is amazing, uh, and called it great faith that he had not found among all the people of Israel. The disciples, actually failed in their faith test on the Sea of Galilee in Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And then the woman with the issue of blood was healed by her faith in Matthew chapter 9. So in many ways, God says the same to us today. According to your faith, let it be so to you. There is, there's a lot to have by faith. And there's a lot that's never received because it's never grasped a hold of with faith. D.A. Carson said, according to your faith does not mean in proportion to your faith. So much faith or so much sight, but rather since you believe your request is now granted. And that's what I always talk about. There's never been a quantification apart from the great faith of the centurion. It's just your faith, your faith, your faith has made you well. The faith of the, of the paralytics man's friends. And our faith ob obtains less or more, not according to its own capacity to believe, but in its own capacity to receive. Uh, Spurgeon said that. Now, um, yeah, I, I don't want to take credit for his quote. Um, Guzik, David Guzik said that the faith of these two blind men is worthy of notice for many reasons. One, they had the faith to follow Jesus which meant forsaking their own paths, other directions, and deciding to follow him. They had the faith to cry out, willing to put their words, uh, 
you know, of desire out there. They had the faith to make noise and to be unafraid of embarrassment to follow him. They had the faith to identify Jesus as son of David, recognizing him as the Messiah, which they would have been ridiculed for. They had the faith to ask Jesus for mercy, knowing that they didn't actually deserve healing. They had faith to believe that Jesus was able to heal them. And they had the faith to say, yes, Lord, when he asked them. Now, interestingly, Jesus, as soon as he heals them, says, now, see, I'm telling you sternly, Matthew says, he said it sternly, don't tell anybody. And despite their warning uh, that they received, they just couldn't resist telling other people. So we shouldn't admire their well-intentioned disobedience because it was still disobedience. Jesus says not to do something, don't do it. But we can admire their excitement because of what God had done for them. Uh, it actually was their only area of unbelief. They believed everything else that God said, but when God said, don't tell anybody, they didn't believe him that he really meant it. They didn't actually have the faith to obey Jesus in totality, and I think that's what we do. We feel that when God asks us to do things, if it doesn't make sense to us, we're just going to do it anyway. No different then, same today. Verse 32. Um, As they went out, Behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisee says, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. In the Jewish understanding of demon possession, this man actually was incapable of being helped. And I'll tell you why. Because most rabbis of the day thought that the uh, the essential first step of any exorcism was uh, or it involved you compelling the demon to tell you his name. And once you knew the name of the demon, then they thought, well, now you can actually manoeuvre that demon out of the person. So a demon that has made somebody mute was basically seen as the most clever kind of demon because they prevented the revelation of their name, which means that they couldn't be, uh, you know, expelled from the person and thereby prevented the exorcism. But Jesus had no problem. Jesus was able to cast it out. No, no problem whatsoever. And then the mute spoke. So it proved that what the rabbis of the day believed was not true. That's why they said it was never seen like this in Israel because for these reasons, this miracle was particularly amazing to the multitudes and it showed that not only did Jesus have complete authority over demonic realms, but he also it also showed, uh, Jesus showed the weakness of the rabbis' traditions and what they've been teaching. So what did these, the Pharisees, the, 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 the religious elite, what did they do? They said, well, the only reason he can cast out demons is by using the ruler of demons. So they attributed the work of Jesus to the power of Satan. And you can see in this gospel, the Pharisees and other religious leaders continuing to reject their work. And the way they started to reject his work and say, well, it must be by Satan. And then they say later on in, in future chapters, in Matthew, well, it's because he works for Beelzebub. So here we go. We get uh, into verse 35. Now, we have to remember that verse 35 is an incredibly important verse in uh, the book of, of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35. I'll explain to you and remind you why. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the cities in in sorry in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is a grammatical tool called inclusio, which is when the words are used at the beginning and end of a topic by an author because there wasn't the same punctuation that you and I use in English to say that everything that is in between these two verses in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9 the ends here is what Matthew wanted to know this was what you this is what was included in what you needed to know about Jesus's teaching about healing and about what he wanted disciples to do and his giving of examples so then we go on to verse 36 but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, his harvest. Jesus encountered the depth of human need. And you know what it did to him? It moved him with compassion. Uh, Jesus was not a, a stoic, unfeeling person in the face of people and their problems that he saw them. Uh, we, we see him moved with compassion. Um, where did Jesus do most of his ministry? He did it around the, the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the verse that we just talked about, shows us that what happened in Matthew chapter 8, what happened up in Matthew chapter 9, up until this verse. Even though it was mostly in Capernaum, the most of that happened, it was an example of what Jesus was doing over the entire region. Now, this is a very important point that I'm about to make. In the previous verses that we've just read today, Jesus was ridiculed and unfairly criticized, but it never made him stop his work. Okay? He never said, I can't believe they're saying horrible things about me. What am I going to do? How am I going to make them stop? Jesus ignored the the unfair criticism. And you know what he did? He concentrated on doing his father's work. And that is a word for you and for I. We will be criticized. We will be unfairly treated. But we can't try and work out ways to stop being unfairly treated. We need to find out ways to do what God has asked us to do. William Barclay says, the word which is used here by Jesus for moved with compassion, and, and I'm going to try it. It's a Greek, old Greek word. It's splag chinithai. <laughs> and I know I butchered that. It's the strongest word for pity in the Greek language, and it describes the compassion which moves a man to the deepest depths of his being. That's why he ignored the criticism was because he had the deepest level of compassion. The level of compassion was much higher than his level of concern for the criticism leveled against him. And he says, they're weary. Look at them. They're scattered. It's like they've got no shepherd. And Jesus says, this is what it's like for a man to be apart from God. We're all like a sheep who has no shepherd. We're in a lot of trouble until we come under the care of our shepherd. And Jesus says, hey, listen, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And he saw the great need of humanity as an opportunity and as a harvest and something that was plentiful. See, a harvest is a good thing and a plentiful harvest is even better. But it was also a harvest that needed laborers. 
and the good of a harvest can go to waste if there's no laborers to actually take advantage of what has been prepared. And Jesus warned us that opportunities to meet human needs with compassion and to bring people into his kingdom may end up being wasted because of a shortage of laborers, which is tragic, which is why we are to take the Great Commission so seriously. And if God says to you, go, you and I should go. Now, for some, that's go and tell your neighbor 10 feet away. For some, that's go to the other side of the world, which wherever it is, go, you and I. There's no room for disobedience. There's no time for disobedience. There's no time for you working out whether you are ready or not. If God's told you to go, go. And Jesus described the workers in his kingdom as laborers. In other words, you and I are called to labor. Do you know what that means? We're called to work hard, labor, work hard. And Jesus says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out hard workers and laborers into his harvest. Pray. We're commanded to pray that, that people will be compelled to go and work hard. Spurgeon said this. He did not say, the harvest truly is plenteous and the laborers are few. But that matters not because God can bless a few and make them accomplish as much as many. No, he believed in his father's omnipotence, but he also believed that the Lord would work by means and that many laborers were required to gather in a plenteous harvest. And therefore he told us to pray for them. We are to pray that the Lord would send out hard working laborers. And it's a prayer that we must pray, but you can only pray it honestly if you pray with an ear of being open to him telling you, okay, you're, you're asking me to send laborers? Well, I've actually chosen you to be one of them and this is where I'd like you to go. So if you're not sincere in that, God's going to know that. And the, the problem is that people go, well, I don't want to know the answer, therefore I won't pray the prayer. Well, you know what you're doing? You're stopping the harvest. You get it? You, 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 no, you're being disobedient like the two uh, blind men that were healed and Jesus said, don't tell anybody and they went and told people. And now God's saying, hey, you need to pray for, for, for laborers to go out and you're like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray because I don't want you to send me. So you're being disobedient. See, God's purposes can't be achieved if we continue to be disobedient. And that's part of my observation. Uh, is that disobedience is stopping and robbing us of the opportunity to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. Uh and then a couple of other observations. Number one, there's a difference between the Pharisees and those people who got healed. The people who were healed knew they were sick. The Pharisees didn't realize they were sick. That's why they weren't healed. Number two, we're all laborers. You and I can't escape being laborers. Uh, we are a laborer for the kingdom of God, so it's our job to get to work. Don't think that if you somehow don't pray the prayer, I'm not going to pray for laborers to get sent out because then I won't get sent out. Listen, you're already a laborer. You've already been commissioned. You've already been uh, given a task to do, and now it's up to you and I to do it. So get to work. No more praying. No more thinking. No more contemplating your navel. No more getting fat just on the word of God and doing nothing with it. No, time for some boom, action. Time to get ready and go. Heavenly Father, help us to be people of action of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.